We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to Brooklyn Buzz. I'm Nick Faye. With me, regular guest, Joe Maycar. Joe, Nets win tonight, 124-113. First time the Nets had won in San Antonio in 17 years. How are we doing, Joe? <laughs> the Alamo curse is over. The Nets finally get a victory since their move to Brooklyn. San Antonio has really never been a good matchup for us. Yep. The fact that this streak has gone on so long. But it wasn't the prettiest win, but hey, a win is a win. James Harden was great this game. Kyrie down the stretch. Um, in the overtime session was great this game. Bruce Brown, like key role players, and Nicholas Claxton, I thought was the most impressive net tonight, at least yeah. from what I was expecting from him and what he provided. Yeah, I mean, really great game for Claxton. We're going to talk about that. And like you said, Joe, the Nets got to win 124-113 in overtime. Spurs ended the game on a 10-0 run, not necessarily ideal. DeJounte Murray hits a crazy horse-level shot. But as always, you can find the buzz on all streaming platforms, including otgbasketball.com, netsrepublic.com, and Blue Wire Pods. But, Joe, let's talk about that final stretch real quick. Obviously, the 10-0 run wasn't great. But then we get into overtime, and it just felt like the Nets turned it up a gear, and they're like, all right. We're not losing this game. We know we just screwed over those last couple minutes, but we're getting the dub tonight. Exactly. And that's basically what it was. It was really like, okay, time to sit up in our chair and time to like really get to work. Like, we like are, that video we game meme. That's, yeah, <laughs> you know exactly. <laughs> like that video game meme where he's sitting up. But basically that's what it came down to. They said, okay, we're going to play a little better defense. Um, we didn't really see as many lapses besides yep. the easy Yaka Pirtle dunk in overtime. But besides that, it was really just – a better defensive effort overall where San Antonio just couldn't get the same shots they were getting as they were in the regulation periods. And it was just better shot selection in overtime. I thought James Harden, when he's getting that little floater in the lane to go, yeah. uh, Bruce Brown hitting timely shots. This is a tough Nets team to beat. 
Exactly. And I thought there were some nice adjustments in that overtime period. They were sending those double teams to James Harden, Kyrie Irving, like you mentioned, hit Bruce Brown on that short roll a couple of times. One time kicked out the Kyrie in the corner for a three. Other time we saw him hit his, you know, patented floater, which it feels like he hardly ever misses. So great stuff there from the Nets. And like you said, defensively gotten the guys a little bit more, especially somebody like Lonnie Walker, who was just cooking in that fourth quarter, knocking down contested threes. They kind of slowed him down. So I thought that kind of said something about the team. Like, hey, we know it wasn't great that final stretch but we're going to pick it up real quick and we're going to do things right and we're going to get the dub and that's what they did exactly and you know credit to the spurs team i mentioned it prior to the game but this spurs team is kind of like a fly that you thought was outside of your house and you go to eat dinner and somehow it's still like they're like pesking you around and being annoying but in their case that's a great thing everyone seems to count out the spurs team every single year but we know greg popovich as well as they have a good collection of young talent. I know they don't have like a necessarily a future superstar like a Luka or Tatum, but they have a ton of guys who are definitely have bright NBA futures. Under good coaching, under a great system that we know Popovich runs, uh, Becky Hammond, just the Spurs culture, that's definitely a very great team. And I thought, hey, if you're going head-to-head with a Brooklyn Nets team, that's that's a very impressive, even if you're losing the game, that's a very encouraging sign moving forward. Yeah, I felt like there was plenty of times where the Spurs could have kind of, you know, took the easy way out and allowed it to be a blowout, but they kept making runs, getting in the game, and like you said, you know, almost pulled it out. And they were even missing a couple players tonight, some of those young guys, Keldon Johnson, Derek White. Like, there's some other pieces that could really help. And like you said, it's I think the Nets sometimes struggle with some of these teams that have, like, good players overall because they don't necessarily know who to focus on, and anybody can kind of light them up any given night. And obviously, defensive effort wasn't necessarily there at all different points. You know, they got a lot of easy buckets in the paint and kind of just got to their spots. But some of that's the Spurs execution. Some of that's just the Nets not showing enough effort. Definitely. And I think part of it is a change in tempo from what we're used to, to the classic Spurs. Like, for example, you think of the Spurs, especially being someone who watched, you know, the Spurs dynasties. And that's what you think about. You think about Tim Duncan, Tony Parker, Manu Ginobili, maybe even a little Kawhi Leonard towards the back end. But you're thinking of this team that's like, okay, kind of a slower pace, not what we're used to today. You're thinking of pick and rolls, ball movement. And that's really, yes, bits and pieces are still relevant, but that's not really the Spurs we see today. The Spurs we see today are kind of like, okay, we're going to kind of like run and gun style, uh, transition finishes, like we're going to play a faster up-tempo pace of basketball. And I feel like maybe, okay, game planning for it, Steve Nash might have had a little trouble, but ultimately, like, like I said, you look at the box score, a win is a win. This was a great win for Brooklyn. Yeah, and talking about somebody you mentioned early on who had a great game, Nicholas Claxton, 17 points, you know, three rebounds, one assist, one steal, three blocks, all only in 17 minutes. And I thought defensively he showcased some nice potential on the switches against DeMar DeRozan, against Lonnie Walker, DeJounte Murray. You know, Claxton had his most impressive game as a pro, set his career high in points. Definitely. Um, Nick Claxton... I don't know how this is even possible, but I think Nets fans might still be underrating him. Like, as crazy as that sounds, as much as we hype the kid up, his defensive potential is just insane. We saw it on both ends tonight. We saw the offense was flowing beautifully in the first half. I think he was 6 of 7 at half with 13 points. Um, already mostly most of the way to his career high, which I believe was 16 coming into tonight, if yep. I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, but it's basically his defense and his just his presence. Like, that's not something you're going to see in the box score. But just knowing, okay, when DeRozan is on the perimeter, switched on to Claxton, this is a guy you don't want to drive on. Because, like, you look at him, he's got a ton of length. He's got a 7'3 wingspan. He's mobile. 
he could guard the interior. Like, this is a guy who's just very, very versatile, knows how to use his skills, and it's basically, with Nick Claxton, I've said this before, with him, it's just going to be development, learning the system, and most of all, staying healthy. It's his yeah. knee injuries that have really held him back. But, hey, we saw it tonight. His potential is, there's there's no limit to it. Yeah, Steve Nash felt the same way via Matt Brooks. Uh, Steve Nash says it's the key for Nick Claxton to get experience and know the game plan. Liked what he saw from Claxton, his breakout performance. So I think, like we kind of mentioned on the last buzz, Jack and I were talking about how it's almost forcing Steve Nash's hand. At first, it seemed like he was a little timid in terms of playing Claxton, and now he's realizing, like, this is a big tool. And like you said, there's a lot of potential. I think Claxton's way further along than I thought he would be at this point, especially on the switchability. Like, his ability to get out on the perimeter and defend guys has been really impressive. Recovery speed has been great. Mobility is there, using that wingspan. And I think with each game, he's almost just looking a little bit more comfortable and just a little bit more conditioned. You know what I mean? Even at different points, I know you saw he was gassed. But, like, you saw him sprint a couple times in the other games. That was very limited just because he hasn't been on an NBA court. Like you said, dealing with a knee, dealing with a shoulder. Feels like a little bit of these injuries. But if he can stay out there, and I saw people tweeting this out, and we talked about it on a couple buzzes ago, like, he's – better than anybody the Nets can get on the buyout market just because of the skill set he has, the versatility he provides. And I know we talked a lot about the switch ability, but also offensively driving, like very comfortable taking a big one-on-one and also can kind of switch it up attacking the rim. We saw him have that nice finish on LaMarcus Aldridge. Definitely. I feel like the offense is kind of like a common, like, yes, we knew what he was capable of, but now he's really like putting it together in flashes, yeah. like all together. Like, for example, his ability to be the receiver in the pick and roll, whether it's a basic layup or even as a lob threat, especially with James Harden. We yep. we know what James Harden is capable as a pick and roll uh, just playmaker. And imagine Claxton on the other end. Those The two of them are really going to develop a chemistry that I see going a long way for this team. And as Jeff Green gets healthy, as he gets back, as his, I believe it's his shoulder, as his shoulder yep. gets better, um, you still need to find time for Nick Claxton. He's definitely proven, hey, Maybe you don't play him 20, 25 minutes, but this is a guy who deserves meaningful minutes in the rotation and not just garbage time. And obviously, Nets fans, even NBA fans who just watch this team, know Nick Claxton is more than capable of playing at a high level. Yeah, I mean, I'd love to see some Claxton and Jeff Green minutes together. I think having another vet out there down low could help them out. And like you said, I think the offense is just kind of almost icing on top because the Nets have really needed the defense, the versatility, the athleticism, and that offensive ability. And as he gets more comfortable with James Harden and Kyrie Irving, because we even saw him a couple times on the rolls, like little missed time, going in the wrong direction, kind of almost bumping into his own players. Just getting a feel for that. We saw that was something that Jared Allen had to, had to do early on with Kyrie Irving, too, just because playing with these elite players, they can really get their shot off anywhere on the floor. So I'm super pumped to see what Claxton can do. And like you said, Joe, hopefully he continues to play big minutes because he just brings something else to this Nets team that no one else really can. Definitely. Um, Claxton, hey, the man's been going through injuries galore. We're happy he's finally healthy. It looked a little bad towards the fourth quarter. Yeah when he got fouled on that driving layup, uh, which seemed open at the time. And then he, I think he seemed to trip over DeRozan's leg. And we just kind of hope, like I said with him, it's, it's health. Like, he does not have a great injury history. But if he's healthy, this is a guy who is an absolute steal. Like, keep in mind, this is a green room prospect, which is basically the 18 to 20 best players um, who they deem are the best players are invited to the green room of the NBA draft. Claxton was a green room prospect. We got him at pick 31 on a non-guaranteed contract. Like, Sean Marks got his guy, and now we're finally seeing the results. 
Yeah, 100%. Obviously hoping big things for him and he can stay healthy. And like you said, Joe, wouldn't be surprised to hear something about an ankle sprain tomorrow with the way DeRozan kind of rolled over his ankle. And it sucks too is because that's just a bad luck play. You know what I mean? It's not even like an injury prone type thing. It's just like, hey, someone literally landed on my ankle the wrong way. But talking about another guy who really stepped up tonight, now it's Bruce Brown, continuing to impress Nets fans. 23 points, 10 to 13 from the field, two of three from deep and three rebounds, one assist, two steals. Bruce Brown had fingerprints all over this game, especially in the third quarter. He had a lot of drives. You know, that layup package is unique. Definitely. Um, I was surprised what I saw from Bruce Brown. Like, at this point, we know what we're going to get from him, but his offense is really taking another level forward. Like, for example, you remember that little scoop layup he had in the yeah. third? Where I was like, oh, this is like a little bit of a horse shot, but he got it to fall perfectly. Uh, besides that, like you mentioned earlier, his floater is up there with the best of them. I can't believe I'm saying that, but it's true. <laughs> Um, he just kind of knows his role. He understands when Harden gets double teamed, for the most part, they're not going to leave Joe Harris open. Like, they know their lesson. It's going to be Bruce open most of the time, and that's why you're seeing so many great looks out of this lineup from him. That's why you're seeing outings with 29 points, uh, 17 points, 23 points, like you mentioned tonight. And Bruce Brown, credit to him, just excels in his role. And honestly, in my opinion, he's just the definition of a perfect role player, like a guy who doesn't have to do too much but he can gladly step into that role if he's asked to do so. Yeah, and he plays extremely hard too, and I think that's always a bonus for the role players. And like you said, Joe, getting very comfortable at driving to the rim on some of these bigs, if he just gets a step or even on some of the guards, like understanding like, hey, I have these ginormous shoulders, let me bump somebody, create some contact, get some space, and lay it in. And I think like uh, we saw late in the overtime, the short roll, the pass to Kyrie Irving, I think it's such a luxury that you have a guard because they're more comfortable dribbling the ball. They have usually better vision. So it's easy for him to make those passes. And if he can finish that floater, it's going to be a tough option. Like the, the Nets are looking pretty good. Obviously, there's plenty of things to clean up in this game, but they're developing different tools for these guys. And the three-point shot is just an added bonus. And the Nets really only need him to take one or two a game. It's not like we're going to ask him to be Joe Harris. Yeah, definitely. I'm, I was actually going to bring that point up, too. The three-point shot is coming along nicely, and yeah. he doesn't have to shoot it at 38 40%. If Bruce Brown is just showing, hey, you have to respect me from the three-point line, then that suddenly that opens up a lot more off, offensive options. Like, okay, now we got to kind of play close to him, of which case, like you said, 6'4", but extremely built. Bruce yep. Brown could just drive past you now and go finish in the paint for a layup. So if he's shooting those one or two a game, that's fine. Um, I remember Kyrie was a huge part of influencing Bruce Brown to shoot the one or two threes a game. Most of the time, it comes out of either the left or right corner. But he's shown a capability that, okay, I can make this shot. I'm not a great shooter, but I can make this shot. Yeah, and the corner one is looking pretty pretty good. You know what I mean? I'm starting to get yeah. comfortable with him hitting that shot. I almost feel like nice. it's going to go in. Yeah. Hey everyone, before we get into today's pod, I want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll see personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community Discord, and e-learning courses full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part? It's only $15, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle's an open door to leveling up your sports experience. Acceptance in the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com slash join. 
check out the description box for this episode to find out more. But that's bwhustle.com slash join. And um, moving on from Bruce Brown and probably the guy who has the best connection with him on the team and James Harden, who probably got him, you know, probably racked up maybe seven of his assists with Bruce Brown, had another triple-double for the Nets, seventh of the season with Brooklyn, 30 points, 15 assists, 14 rebounds, 12 of 23 from the floor, three of seven from deep, and zero turnovers. I mean, 15 assists and zero turnovers is incredible. Yeah, um, I didn't know about the turnovers. I did know about the 15 assists. Zero turnovers on 15 assists, that's like, point god chris paul levels of amazing (laughs) like sorry to compare him to his former teammate who he didn't necessarily mesh well with but that that's incredible and we see this just james harden's ability to basically shoulder the offensive load on both sides so if he's affecting the game with his playmaking he's getting other guys involved and you know it's really just opening up the key to this nets offense and on the same level if okay the offense doesn't have a great look now it's my turn. Like, let me go feast. Let me get mine. Let me drive into the lane, either get a contact layup, draw a foul, or get that little push shot floater that I like. And we just see, like like I said, my career numbers from James Harden. And he's just really, even if it's not scoring, he has his fingerprints all over the game. And that's exactly what the Nets traded for. Yeah, I mean, I think in the first half, he had probably just around double digits, maybe 10 points, and then 20 in the second half. He was just more of that passer. Felt like the Spurs maybe started to adjust at different points in that pick and roll, and they are like, okay, we'll give you that floater push shot. James capitalized. I think there was one point in the fourth quarter, he had nine straight points for the Nets. So Harden just kind of continues to impress. I think these are the type of games that really push him into that MVP conversation. Like, we're talking 30, 15, and 14. Like, they're giant numbers on great efficiency. So (laughs) he's shooting 50, 40 in this game. And then, like we said, zero turnovers. I mean, continues to push. And in a night where Kyrie Irving struggled a little bit, I thought James Harden was just so important for this team to get the win. Definitely. And, you know, those turnovers are even more so impressive when you realize, okay, two out of three times that James Harden is touching the ball, they're immediately sending a second defender. Yeah. So you have to you have a quick split second reaction to okay, who is the open man? Like I have two seven footers on me. Who am I gonna pass to? Who's the open man? How can I get out of this trap? And I just feel like with James, like that's basically where we've seen him improve the most since coming to Brooklyn. He's always been a good playmaker, but I think since coming to Brooklyn, he's really embraced that role. And I would say he's honestly one of the best playmakers in the league now. Yeah, I agree, Joe. I think it wasn't even as much like him improving. It's more him embracing the role, like you said. Like early on in Houston, we saw him put up these double-digit assist numbers, you know, a lot of pick-and-rolls with Clint Capella. Then after they traded him, he became more of that hero ball type guy. And I think he just really excels as the playmaker, the floor general, and just kind of running the show. And I've never seen really anybody make the passes he makes so casually. Like he threw the behind the back pass and Nick Claxton on one of his buckets in the second quarter just with ease. Like it was nothing. And then we saw Claxton go with the work in the post against uh, LaMarcus Aldridge. But I, I mean, I continue to be impressed by James Harden every single night. And like we talked about before, I think defensively, the ability to switch on the bigs is is really crucial in this switching defense. Definitely. And once again, I feel like a broken record at this point, but James Harden needs more attention for his defense. Like, He's probably one of the best post defenders on this team. Yeah, I mean, you could argue maybe, you know, the best non-big for sure. So, but moving on from there, let's talk a little uh, Kyrie Irving, 9-24, 6-10 from the three-point line, 3-4 of four from free throw line, 6 rebounds, 7 assists, 27 points. Shooting efficiency wasn't there, but like you mentioned earlier, Joe, he came up big in overtime, and that's really all that matters. Definitely. Ultimately, as long as Kyrie's getting the win, like we know he's a team player, I'm sure he's happy regardless. 
Um, he is kind of dealing with the finger injury. I don't want to use that as an excuse. And then the shoulder soreness on the last one, too. Yeah, and so. then the shoulder soreness. I did forget about that. So he's not 100%, but hey, if he's giving you 80% of what he's capable of for the time being, just to hold the fort down until Kevin Durant gets back, then that's a great sign from Kyrie. Uh, pretty much got his usual numbers. Just on, Like you said, the efficiency wasn't quite there. But again, it's it's timely shots. Like even Landry Shamit, who we'll talk about after, Shamit was very cold in the first half. But come fourth quarter, he hits that big step into a three that kind of like shifted momentum into the yeah. Nets building that run. So everything is okay. Not only make or miss, but timing of the shots, especially we'll disregard that one layup at the end of the game. <laughs> but in the overtime, we saw Kyrie like really like sit up, put his big boy shoes on and really get to work. Yeah, I mean, he was very good in the overtime. And defensively, I thought he turned the effort up, which was questionable at different points in the game. And like I mentioned to you off air before we hopped on, I think there was a couple shots, shot selection-wise, where I think he could have been better, especially if you're not 100%. You know, maybe let somebody else carry the load or try to get inside a little bit into some of the some of your, you know, money shots. But overall, not a terrible game from Kyrie. Just want to see that efficiency get up a little bit. You want to talk DeAndre Jordan? Sure. Uh, DeAndre Jordan, it's... Uh... Maybe a below average, average game. I wouldn't say anything spectacular, but he wasn't terrible this game. There were a couple of lapses where Jakob Pertl got wide open dunks, or there's a little bit of miscommunication there. And you'll see what I like is James Harden and even some of the other members on the team now like seem to kind of hold him accountable now. Like yep. It's not really a sense of bickering or arguing, but saying, hey, like That's you're supposed to be there. You're supposed to be in front. That's your switch or whatever. Um, kind of holding him accountable. And I thought DeAndre, over time, like I said, if he's capable of setting good screens, getting rebounds, blocking shots, that's, that's literally all he has to do. We're not asking for prime Clippers, all NBA third team DeAndre Jordan here. So not the best game from DeAndre, but we'll let it slide today. Yeah, I mean, I think 35 minutes is obviously too much for him. You know, he's obviously just up there in age, and some of those effort plays are going to be a little tougher down the stretch for him. We had eight points, 13 rebounds, did have five assists and three blocks. There were some good moments, but like you mentioned, Jakob Perto got behind him on way too many occasions, and it just felt like there was some miscommunication in terms of, like, when he should help, when he shouldn't help, and then kind of recovering back to the big, and too many times the recovery wasn't really there for DJ. Like we said, you know, we can get him in a shorter stint. I think he probably would have had a better game. But moving on to Landry Shaman, who you mentioned earlier, did not shoot great tonight. Seven points, two of eight from the field, two of seven from three, four rebounds and one assist. But like you mentioned, did have that big three-pointer in the fourth. Definitely. And like I said, it seemed to be like a momentum switch. Like that's when the Nets went on a little run. I think it was 14-2, if I'm not mistaken. And it really seemed to just open up the offense where it seemed like the game was so close for this longest time. And okay, Shamit hits a three. We play solid defense. Now the ball is kind of in our court in a sense. And with Shamit, he's a little bit of an enigma. I would say a lot of role players are. But with him, as long as he's taking these good shots, like maybe out of those seven shots, maybe one or two, I said to myself, that wasn't the best shot. But most of his shots were good looks. And if he's wide open, like I trust Landry Shamit with that shot, keep shooting. Yeah, I mean, I think he missed like four wide open threes in the first half, like you kind of alluded to earlier. And that's what it is. It's just kind of tough. He just inconsistent he's not joe harris you know what i mean he's a good three-point shooter but he's not that elite level yet does not have that consistency there is potential for him to hopefully get there but 
up until this point, that's kind of what it's going to be. You know, he's going to have his good nights. He's going to have his bad nights. We did see a nice drive earlier in the game. I think that's something he can add to try to be maybe a little bit of a multi-level scorer. And defensively, there was some decent possessions where he showed a lot of effort, got some offensive fouls called on the Spurs, but then also possessions where, you know, he's just too small and he's going to get beat because he just doesn't have the size. Uh, definitely. And with Shamit, like I said, going back to, it's kind of an enigma. Certain defensive possessions, as you touched on, will be great. Like, I did notice he was drawing offensive fouls. Um, if we remember way back, not really, a couple <laughs> of weeks ago, his defense on Devin Booker, that was yep. probably the best Nets defensive possession I've seen all season. Um, so we see he's definitely capable, but it's a matter of matchup. It's a matter of effort, and it's just being consistent with the jump shot. We'll come and go, but with any shooter, you just want to stay confident. And like I said, I trust Landry Shamit that his shot will be there when it matters most. And another guy off the bench, Tyler Johnson, who's been pretty good from three this season, had that crazy stretch, didn't necessarily have a great shooting night. Three points, one of five from the field, one of four from three. Uh, did have two two assists, four rebounds, was plus five. I think the one good thing with Tyler Johnson sometimes is that even you still feel him when he's not hitting his shots just because of those high-energy plays. Definitely, and Tyler Johnson checks into the game, and like you said, he just brings the high energy, the effort, on the defensive end especially. Like I didn't realize until this season, and I've been watching him since his Miami days, but Tyler Johnson is a very good defender. Like Stays in front of his man, even with the quicker guards, um, doesn't get beat too often. Like Yes, from time to time, everyone does, but he just knows where to be. He understands switches. He's kind of got a high basketball IQ when it comes to that. Uh, sense of the floor yeah yeah I think high effort I think defensively he does struggle sometimes with size again not being the biggest guy but he definitely showcases like extreme effort on that end of the floor and like you said you know solid role player for this team obviously you don't necessarily want to play him 21 minutes but missing some guys he's gonna have to step up we saw Joe Harris not necessarily his best game some credit to the Spurs at really eliminating him from getting so many open looks but three of ten from the field three of eight from three you know it feels like uh, every time Jack's not on, Joe struggles a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> They're uh, directly correlated with one another. When Jack's on, Joe says, okay, I'm going to have a great game. But anyway, Joe Harris, like I said, we kind of just have such high expectations from him. Um, this is a man who I think he still does lead the league in three-point percentage, and yep. he's first in a ton of categories. I think it was like from both corners, from above the break, uh, catch-and-shoot percentage I remember seeing a couple games ago. He was at like 58%. So he's just putting up insane numbers. And, you know, like I said, every shooter, even Joe Harris, from time to time are going to have a little bit of an off game. Joe Harris, like I said, three of eight, that is his off game. So, like, even his off game isn't something terrible, knock on wood. But with Joe Harris, you trust him. And you know, especially when all three members of the big three are back together and Duran is cooking 30 points a game, you know Joe Harris is going to be open left and right, getting good look after good look. And this is a guy who more often than not is going to knock these shots down. Yeah, like you said, you know, KD being out, he's moved up in the pecking order so teams can give him a little bit more attention, especially when the Nets are playing, you know, a Bruce Brown and a DeAndre Jordan who don't have three-point shot. So now this, excuse me, the spacing is a little bit messed up, a little bit easier to make sure you're not coming off a guy like Joe Harris. And talking about spacing, uh, we saw Andre Roberson play six minutes tonight, uh, had one point. No, actually, sorry, zero points. He did have one assist, one rebound, and one turnover. 
uh, 0-1 from the field. Obviously, we talked about this, and this was the case with Roberson, is he doesn't have much offense, and he doesn't have much of a three-point shot. And at times, that really hurts the spacing, and especially when he's out there with a DeAndre Jordan. Definitely, and I feel like Roberson in this role, at this point, you kind of have to put him either with Claxton or put Roberson as the small ball five. Because yeah, like or you with said, a Jeff Green. Put, or with Jeff Green, yes, who wasn't here today, but when healthy, that's a good option at the five also. But with Robertson, the issue is, like I said, they are daring him to shoot the three. And I feel like, like, I like his confidence, but mm. only to a certain extent. You know, if you're shooting low 20s from three, there's probably a reason they're leaving you open. Even if you're shooting it at like 24, 25%, it's worth leaving you open because, hey, you get three points one quarter of the time. That's a win for the defense right there. Like the other team will gladly accept that any day of the week. With Robertson, it's basically high effort plays, defense, uh, moving his feet. And it's kind of struggled for Robertson. I wouldn't say, like, he's still providing the defense, but he hasn't quite been in that same rhythm we would expect him to be in. And I think that's partly to credit that, okay, he just played for the first time in the bubble for the first time in like two years. years. And he played correct. Yeah, he was still on the Thunder at that point. So the Thunder did not make a super deep run. He probably played about, I'm just taking a guess here, maybe 14, 15 games at very most. Let's say the eight seeding games and then the first round. Oh, that, that series won seven. So let's say he played about 15 to 17 games and then didn't play for another several months, unsure if he'd be signed, and now he's signed. So with Robertson, I think it's just getting into a rhythm, um, kind of uncertain of his future because he's on a 10-day, but I think he's got a some future with this team, even if it's on a roll with the end of the bench. Yeah, I mean, definitely something to keep an eye on. Obviously, the big injuries, they're always going to be hard to come back, lose maybe some of that extra pop to his game. I think the big difference is like Bruce Brown still provides value even without the three-point shot because even before he was you know, hitting these threes, he was still cutting to the rim and finding ways to impact the game. And you're just not really getting that from Roberson. I think, like you said, Joe, he'll have an opportunity to make the team, but I'm not sure they're locked in and making sure he's the guy. Definitely. Like I said, probably a back-end breaking break glass in case of emergency rotation yep. player. But if everyone's healthy, probably not a consistent person in the rotation. Yeah, a spot that the Nets would probably look to upgrade if they do have the opportunity. If they aren't given that opportunity, they might end up you know, leaving him, like you said, Joe, to be that 15th man on the team. But we pretty much talked about everyone on the roster that played you know, big minutes tonight. Moving on to just some of the team stats, really impressive for the Nets. 35 assists tied their season high that they had against Golden State. And also the fact is they had 35 assists with only five turnovers as a team. Um, that's most of the credit to James Harden, because like you said earlier, he had 15 assists and zero turnovers. But that's an astounding number. Like we saw, I think it was less than a week ago, the Nuggets had one turnover as a team, a record that, yep. <clears throat> let's be real, I don't think anyone's ever going to break that in history. You never it's hard know. hard to do in 2K. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> playing on rookie difficulty, I'll probably get flashy and throw a turnover once in a while. But we just see that's a testament to the Nets' effort. You want to take good care of the ball. We see a lot of these games that they do lose, it's a product of carelessness. Like, it's just turning the ball over 18 to 20 times, 18 to 22 times a game. And if you're keeping your turnovers low, like, you're valuing each possession – you're getting offensive rebounds. You're essentially giving yourself second chances to come back and recompensate for these mistakes you're making. It's going to be hard to beat you. And that's any team, not just the Nets. 
Yeah, I agree. And credit to the Spurs, only nine turnovers on their end as well. But if you're playing offense at the efficiency the Nets are playing, 47% from the field, 41% from three, free throw percentage, 76%, not great. But you're doing a lot of things right offensively. It was really defensively where they did have some of those struggles, like we mentioned earlier. And some credit just to the Spurs and you know playing basketball the right way. And obviously they did get nine offensive rebounds, which is always a nice boost too. But the Nets had 13 on their end. So you know, just finding ways to win and just making sure they got the dub tonight, even with the defense not necessarily being up to par for the entire 48 minutes. Actually, what is it, 53 minutes? Definitely. Um, I thought it was a great effort. And honestly, like I said, a win is a win. I know it's not necessarily the most beautiful win, but you look at the box score a month from now, you're going to look back and say, hey, that was a win in San Antonio. That was a loss in Washington. Like at the end of the day, that's all you see. Good win. Yeah, I agree. And obviously there's some bad luck in just in San Antonio for the Nets. But like you said, and like we've talked about before, they're starting to win some of these games that they were losing. You know, that Hornets game, the Wizards game, stuff like that. They're starting not to say the Spurs are a bad team. They're above 500 in the playoff picture. But like this is a team that the Nets are still substantially more talented than even without Kevin Durant. And they took care of business tonight. But Joe, anything else you want to touch on before we get out of here? Uh, That's pretty much it. The curse of the Alamo is over. Great Nets win. And We'd like to hope Nicholas Claxton is okay. Hope Jeff Green and TLC are back soon. And besides that, just got to keep moving with the momentum and head into the All-Star break, hopefully with another win against the Rockets on Wednesday. Yeah, some bad blood in that game, obviously, with James Harden and some of his former teammates. And obviously, Nets are 9-1 and one in their last 10 games. And like you said, Joe, keep this momentum going to the All-Star break. Hopefully, Jeff Green's good to go, TLC. And then we get Kevin Durant back together when everything's wrapped up for the second half of the season. But always a pleasure, Joe. Big thanks to everybody for listening. Like I mentioned before, catch us on all streaming platforms. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.